Welcome to the Aroma of Christ podcast, brothers and sisters in Christ. I am Ryan Brown, the pastor of the Fostoria Baptist Church, and the hope behind this podcast is to do nothing in any way to replace regular gathering among God's people. It is for the sake of mutual encouragement of one another through the singing and preaching ministry that we gather. But if you do happen to miss a week and want to keep up in Matthew, or if you want to re-listen to a sermon because it was particularly impactful or particularly confusing, this podcast is available to you. And so we continue on the Aroma of Christ sermons from the pulpit of Fostoria Baptist Church. Scripture reading. 2 Peter 1, 1 to 11. Peter is beginning his letter and encouraging his readers to be diligent based off the fact that God has given all things to us that pertain unto life and godliness, and that is through the great and precious promises. And so because of that, we're supposed to give all diligence to add to our faith Christ-like virtues attributes and in so doing verse 10 says that we're giving diligence to making our calling and election sure the scripture reads simon peter a servant and an apostle of jesus christ to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of god and our savior jesus christ Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Matthew 22, verses 1 to 14, is where we are at today. Matthew 
has been showing Jesus giving parables in response to controversies with his enemies, particularly the chief priests and the elders. Although it is the chief priests and the Pharisees that ultimately respond in anger, seeking to arrest Jesus, they find the parables to be pointed in some way towards them. Two sons, one said he'd be obedient, wasn't. The other said he wouldn't do it, but did. One who did, did the will of the father. Husbandmen, tenants, farmers, not giving fruit to the king, and even so much as killing his own son, they will be harshly dealt with. And their vineyard will be given to other people, to another nation that will produce the fruits of righteousness, the rent that the first tenant owners would not give. Then a third parable comes in today. Matthew 22, verse 1. And Jesus answered, and spake unto them again by parables, and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for a son, and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden. Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it and went their ways. One to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Father, we do ask that you would help us today 
to see your word, to recognize the reality of this parable, and to be prepared to do what is necessary to live in light of it, to respond rightly to your word, and to ever grow in conformity to it. Lord, I thank you. I praise you. We pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. How do you know that you are an American citizen? Now, assuming for a second, as I think is accurate assumption, that everyone in this room is an American citizen, if you were pressed to prove to someone that you were an American citizen, what would you do? I don't know what ideas are circulating in your head at this point in time. One of the first things that comes to my mind is to say, well, I have a birth certificate. And it shows that I was born in the United States. So I could show that, and then that then shows that I am an American. Maybe, though, there's more to it than just that. Our text today is about a wedding feast. And it covers through three parts as Jesus explains it. And the first is those that are first called, verses 1 to 7. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son, and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden. Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it and went their ways. One to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth. And he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their cities. So Jesus begins by saying that the kingdom of heaven is compared to this story he's about to tell. And this story is of a certain king. And this king had at least one son. And this son was getting married, so the king set things in order. He prepared a marriage feast for his son. And he sends forth his servants. He calls those who had previously been called, 
gives a second invitation to them to say, now the wedding feast is already ready, so now it is time for you to come. But they don't come. They have this tremendous honor, as well as a command, given that it's from a king, to come unto the wedding feast. And yet they feel they have something else better to do. That there's something more important than this great event. You know, and we read certain fairy tales and interact with them, or maybe we interact with the Disney versions in a sanitized way. We can find that there are some events that you just simply wouldn't miss. It's one of the basic premises of Cinderella. The prince is throwing the ball. Everyone wants to go to the prince's ball. No one's going to refuse the invitation. And Cinderella goes above and beyond trying to secure her spot. And it's taken away from her. It would have been strange if the stepsisters were completely uninterested in the affair. And though they had every possibility to go, they'd be looking back and saying, oh, well, I just won't. But that's where these who had been bidden are. They won't come. But the king sends out other servants. The king goes again and tries to plead for them to come again. This time he explains all that he has prepared, all the luxury that is there. Verse 4, behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. Fatted calf is slaughtered. The oxen is there. The food is already. It's certainly going to be a celebration event. And the only thing they must do is come in order to enjoy its benefits. But they make light of it. They treat it with contempt. Some simply go on their way to their merchandise, to their farm, continue about their commercial enterprises, considering that to be more important. But others are more malicious. They take the servants, they treat them wrongly, and they slay them and kill them. They think they have more important things than coming to this wedding feast. They presume that they don't need it. Verse 7. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth. And he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city.
like the father whose son was killed in the parable of the tenant farmers. So too this king is angry, indignant, and he sends out judgment. Sends out the destruction of the city, burning it up, destroying those murderers, and indeed destroying all who rejected the invitation, whether through simple neglect or direct hostility. It's amazingly tragic to think that they received this wonderful invitation to great news, to great events, this wonderful news they were too busy to care, and even hostile at points to it. And the reality is we still see that today. We may even still see that at times in ourselves. To be too busy, to be too overly concerned with commercial enterprises and to consider those thorns of the world to be more important than what the Lord is preparing for those who trust him. We can have that improper priorities. But all we need to do is come. It's all already prepared. And as the king is here, he has a, a slight difficulty. His wedding is prepared, but there's no one to come to enjoy it. But he quickly has a solution to that that brings us into our second part. Not those called first, but those called later. Verses 8 to 13. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways, and gathered together all, as many as they found both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither, not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The king doesn't really seem to waste any time before he tells his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who were first called, those who were, invite, were first invited, did not prove to be worthy, precisely because they wouldn't come. 
And so then he says, go out. Find people who are in the highways and bid them to come to the marriage. Invite them into this wedding feast. The first set were too busy to come, so invite those who seem otherwise unobligated and bring them in to this wedding feast. So the servants do so. They go out. In verse 10, it tells us that they gathered together all, as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. Now, in that, I want us to notice first that in that there were both bad and good. I think there's a, a possibility that as we work through the two parables, we can have a misconception that the publicans and harlots have an advantage as being flagrant sinners, thus they'll enter in. But here the ones who are admitted in are both bad and good, both the elite and the unelite. The difference between them and the first group has more to do with the fact that they're willing to come. The offer is openly available to all as many as they find, whether that be publicans, harlots, whether that be chief priests and elders. It's a matter of willingness to come to Jesus in repentance. Then it's also helpful for us to note that the wedding was furnished with guests. The wedding was full. There was a lot of rejection of those who were called at first. We don't hear of any who came, but rather that they made light of it, returned to their business, or even were hostile. And yet the king still filled his wedding feast. He still brought the people in. You know, in our day, we go out, we share the gospel with people around us, share the gospel perhaps with complete strangers, and we see rejection and rejection and rejection. When we start to see that America's climate towards the gospel is becoming more heated and hostile, it can tend to lead us to feel a little dejected a little distressed, maybe even a little depressed about the state of Christianity. But the rejection of those who were summoned at first didn't prevent the king from filling the marriage feast. And nor will any rejection to the gospel today prevent the Lord from filling his kingdom. From gathering his elect in. From furnishing with guests to the wonderful feast of the gospel, the wonderful feast of Christ. The wedding is filled. Verse 11 begins to take a very serious tone. And when the king came in to see the guests, 
he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The kingly father comes in. He comes in with a point of some investigation to check in on the guests. But he sees a man who doesn't have on a wedding garment. Who seems to have just come in his regular day clothes. He accepted the invitation but didn't do anything to change his appearance to honor the occasion to which he was invited. So the king asks him, how did this happen? How did you come in here without this wedding garment? And the man didn't have an answer. He was put to silence. He was speechless. It seems that in the question of the king, the man may quite have recognized his error. But at that point, it was too late. This man thought he was in the wedding guests, that he was going to be able to partake of the wedding feast. And yet, he is thrown out. Thrown out into outer darkness, thrown out into the place far removed from the light of the heavenly messianic kingdom, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, where he experiences pain, inviting anger and resentment, day after day. After day. In these three verses, Jesus seems to correct a possible additional misconception of the way his parables have worked. This misconception being a misconception that is key and has been key throughout history about the gospel as a whole. That since gospel, since our life, since our status before God is all by his grace, it doesn't then matter how we live. It doesn't then matter what happens. He didn't put on a wedding garment. He didn't clothe himself appropriately. 
we saw earlier this year from Colossians 3 that there is a way in which the biblical authors use clothing as a metaphor for the good works of a Christian. That as the new man has been made, how we have been made new, we live new. There's similar realities in Romans 13, 12 to 14. In Ephesians 4, 24, or even in Ephesians 6 and 1 Thessalonians 5, in regarding to putting on the armor of God. Perhaps most prominently, it's in Revelation 19, 8. Also there in a wedding scene, where instead of being the guests, it's the bride that those who are redeemed occupy the space of. And John tells us that the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. But the fact that it can be used clothing metaphor for good works doesn't show that it is doing that here. But in the parable of the two sons, which son was commended? It was the one who did the work. It was the one who truly repented by showing a change in his life, going out and doing what he was bidden to do. In the parable of the tenant farmers, what is the charge? What is the first thing that happens that causes and begins to lead towards the judgment for the wicked tenants? They won't give the fruit. They won't provide to the owner what is his due in fruits. Fruits that Isaiah 5 tell us are right living of justice and righteousness. And ultimately, when Jesus says, or when the chief priests explain what will happen in Matthew 21, 41, they say he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which shall render him the fruit in their season. It is all by grace. It is all by faith. But true acceptance of the grace by faith results in a change of behavior, a change in the clothing of our lives. As Charles Spurgeon wrote on these words, this man without the wedding garment is the type of those who in these days pretend to be Christians, but do not honor the Lord Jesus, nor his atoning sacrifice, nor his holy word. They are not in accord with the design of the gospel feast. Namely, the glory of the Lord Jesus in his saints. They come into the church for gain, for honor, for fashion, or for the purpose of undermining the loyal faith of others. The godly can often see them. This man must have been conspicuous amongst the wedding guests. The traitors within the church, however, have most to fear from the coming of the king. He will detect them in a moment. 
even as the royal host in the parable, as soon as he came in to see the guests, saw there the man who had not on the wedding. That last somber part of the parable then leads perfectly into Jesus' summary of it in verse 14. For many are called, but few are chosen. See, there were many called. There were those called at first who were bidden to come, but would not come. That showed that they were not among those who were truly chosen because they wouldn't come and accept the free gift. Instead, they presumed they didn't need it. And so went on their business as if it hadn't been offered. So then more were called. Those out in the streets, the good and the bad, came unto it, and they showed that they were chosen by continuing after they came, by changing their clothing. Many are called, few are chosen. And it seems that Jesus wants to press into us that we not presume that we not presume that we are among the chosen but instead we make our calling and election clear like how peter described it putting all diligence to that fact of making the calling and election clear and what else did he tell us to be all diligent about adding to our faith virtue brotherly kindness charity In some ways, this passage seems to end up being a question about assurance. You know, we started by asking, how do you know you're an American citizen? We talked about how my first thoughts tend to be, well, I have a birth certificate showing I was born in America. Something about a past event that happened that I can't even remember. Something that could be fabricated a piece of paper that could burn up and no longer show evidence. But what if I said that I could show I was an American citizen because I enjoyed the benefits of being an American citizen? But there is something present about the way that I lived, the ability to vote, perhaps, that gave reason for me to know and have proof people recognize that I am a citizen. When it comes to our assurance of answering the question, how do we know we genuinely believed in Jesus Christ? The answer should not be some prior commitment, but a present communion. The answer should never be, well, I remember saying a prayer at some point in time. But I can see that the Lord is still working in me, still producing in me more and more Christ-likeness at every possible moment. The present, not the past, 
is the key to knowing that we have shown ourselves to be chosen by coming genuinely in faith and continuing on through repentance throughout life. And as we've seen a couple times throughout Matthew, the fruits by which we know others and the fruits then that we would know ourselves by are not to do with tithes, attendance, or ministry. It doesn't have to do with that type of formal service. It has to do with heartfelt obedience. Turn with me again to Matthew chapter 7. Jesus concluding his Sermon on the Mount, creating a contrast between two groups of people and talking about fruit on a tree. We're going to begin in the middle of his section about how you will know the false prophets by their fruits. Verse 18. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down, cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then Will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Many who show that they've prophesied in the name of Jesus, cast out demons in the name of Jesus, or done many wonderful works in the name of Jesus, will find that they did nothing in the name of Jesus. That he never knew them. What he desires is the obedience from the heart. Perhaps the types of questions that we should ask ourselves is whether we grow more hungry for the word or more hungry for food, for the restaurant. Whether when we're reading our word into ourselves, striving for it, or whether we're in the middle of a service, are we more hungry to see Christ in his word or are we more hungry for the lunch we know follows? When we get together to pray, whether corporately or individually, are we doing that simply because that's a checkbox we need to do? Supposed to start our days or our meetings with prayer, so let's do that. Or are we praying because we genuinely want to commune with the Lord and express our dependence upon him? As we go through our day and make decisions upon it, are our decisions ever increasing to be self-sacrificing 
Or do we always seem to find ways to seek ourselves? And when we do some kindness or perform some functional service within the church, are we hoping that people notice it? Or are we just glad to be of use to our master and Lord? Are we striving for ever more greater obedience or content with past success? Are we daily delighting to take up our cross and follow after Christ? Now, there are some of us in this room who are too hard on ourselves, and we need to be careful not to let these questions lead us to despair. I think there are probably also some of us in this room who are too easy on ourselves. I need to seriously engage with these questions. Perhaps seriously engage with another church member that you don't get to see all the time. Taking a look in the mirror and thinking, is my life showing that I have genuinely believed in Jesus Christ? Is my life showing that I am not just presuming that I am chosen, but actually making my election and calling sure? It would be a shame for all of us in this room to hear said to any of us, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. So for your own sake and for the sake of everyone here, please take time to make your calling and election sure. Please examine yourselves to see if you be in the faith. And if you do find yourself lacking, come to the wedding feast. It has already been prepared. Father, I do ask that we would take seriously your warnings that you have placed in your word. And that we would recognize that salvation is by faith alone, through grace alone. But that true faith never stays alone. And that we would recognize and live in such a way as to show the fruits of obedience. And I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Aroma for Christ, sermons from the pulpit of the Fostoria Baptist Church. Do you remember 2 Corinthians 2, 15-16? For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? <laughs>